Hi, everybody. This is Jeremy Richards. I'm a pulmonary and critical care physician at Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center and Harvard Medical School in Boston, Massachusetts. I'm very excited to be able to be moderating today's podcast uh, with Drs. Avi Cooper and Kyla Terhoun. Uh, Dr. Cooper is an assistant professor of medicine at the Ohio State University in Columbus, Ohio, as well as an assistant program director for their pulmonary and critical care fellowship program. Uh, Dr. Kyla Terhoun is an associate professor of surgery, as well as an associate dean at Vanderbilt University in beautiful Nashville, Tennessee. Today, we're going to be talking about career development in pulmonary and critical care, and specifically uh, tips, tricks, and strategies that you can use as a fellow or an early career faculty in looking for your first professional job. We're very lucky to have Drs. Cooper and Terhoun with us today uh, to talk through these topics and provide specific, concrete advice about this uh, subject of seeking, finding, and, and getting your first professional job. We're going to start with Dr. Cooper in a specific question for him, uh, specifically, Avi, what big picture considerations should a trainee have in mind as he or she starts planning for finding his or her first professional job? Thanks, Jeremy. I think the first thing to, to do as a trainee who's just starting the, the job uh, search process is to use the, the psychology term to radically accept that it is happening. Um, and, you know, I think it, it can certainly be stress-inducing, anxiety-provoking. Um, and um, in medicine, there's the, the training pathways that, that we go on are so well-defined and the arc of, a, of training for, for career medicine, you know, spans often, you know, more than a decade. And so it can be kind of an abrupt transition to realize that, you know, there's no match process uh, that's going to get you matched with your first job, like there was, say, for residency and fellowship. And, um, uh, and it, it really is a, a totally different process than, than, than I think the most trainees have ever been through. So I think just accepting that it's, that it's happening and kind of, you know, diving in is, is the first part. And the second part is, and we'll, we'll break this down in the podcast, but to, to be as deliberate as possible and very thoughtful about, about each stage of the process. Yeah, and I would, I would second that. I think that the biggest mistake, because everything has been set up uh, for trainees up until this point, everything has either been through ERAS or there's been a very defined um, format for one's resume or CV or because there's been an application process, uh, trainees haven't really had to think about that. And we're behind the rest of the world who has been thinking about that. So when you finish your fellowship training or finish your residency training, you might be at a minimum in your late 20s, whereas most of other professionals have already been through the process of job searching and often have had better resources in helping them think through CV cre uh, creation um, uh, essay writing and things than we have had uh, at this point. And so I think that one thing to focus on is the transition from being a student, an eternal student in medicine, to now being a professional um, and actually finding the resources to set yourself up well with a professional mindset as opposed to what we're used to doing, uh, all of us, is setting ourselves up very well in a student mindset. So it's really that transition, I agree, from student to now professional going out into the real world. Fantastic. That's great. I love the perspective of transitioning from 
thinking as a student, the student mindset, to thinking as a professional. And one component of that might be defining one's career goals and objectives, right? So the idea of what you want to get out of your professional career. That seems like it would be an important part of the job search process. So, Dr. Terhun, Kyla, if I could ask, yeah. what advice do you have for trainees in developing and presenting their career goals as part of this mindset shift from student to a professional? Sure. Um, I think anyone, if you have had really good mentoring to this point, hopefully someone has, has spoken with you as early as medical school at least about creating a mission or creating a uh, framework for yourself for the next really 10, 15 years, and I encourage even undergraduate students who I work with also, to really think about where you see yourself and try to set up your experiences so that they're contributing to that. Um, and so for medical students and, and residents and a core residency and also for fellows, um, defining and redefining at different steps your own mission statement of where you want to be, what you want to do, what you want to accomplish is, is the best place to start. And in defining those mission statements, I also encourage people to define their priorities because your priorities in seeking a job are going to be very different. You might have family constraints, or you might have geographic constraints, um, or you might have preferences that are real priorities to you personally that you want to honor in that job search and in the process. So I, I encourage people to really start with the big picture, define your priorities. So for example, my priorities are my family, my patients, education being a part of, of what I am doing. And so it doesn't really make sense for me to look at jobs that don't honor all of those priorities. And then a mission would be a little bit of a different statement. What is the impact that I want to make? Um, and then what you want to do throughout your training, and you can't start this too early, is to make sure that the projects you take on, the papers you write, the people you interact with, all contribute to that. And the, that mission and even the priorities can change uh, throughout different stages of your life, uh, but you really want to have some sort of goal uh, to make everything meaningful. I think it's also helpful to, to think about um, individual people that you know, mentors, colleagues, people um, that uh, have jobs that you might want, and not necessarily that exact job, but like what kind of job and what what that job would would look like. And so that can be that can be helpful as as you're as people are doing what what Kyla is is recommending, kind of co coming up with their own phenotype and um, what they're sorting out their priorities it can be helpful to really think specifically about the kinds of jobs that they know or you know that people have and which of those does it seem like you fit best with, whether that's a, um, you know, a purely clinical job or, or, you know, in academics, if you're going to be, you know, research or education or quality improvement or administration and just figuring out kind of what fits best with, with who you are. Um, and I think doing, starting that process, starting with the end in mind, like Kyla is saying is, is very, very important. So you're not being blown around by the wind as you're applying for jobs, but again, being very deliberate and purposeful about it. I totally agree. And I'd say, Avi, I'm wondering if maybe you could even comment on establishing a network of those individuals for getting mentorship as you're thinking through that. And maybe that's something that you've even done recently. Um, but but how, how would you interact with those individuals? Yeah, I think the the, the professional network component of this really can't be understated. Um, you know, it's a fun applying for a, for a, for the first physician job is a fundamentally human endeavor, you know, and it's going to be individuals um, looking at applications and interviewing and hiring. And so it, and a lot of it is for better or for worse, who, you know, um, 
and um, who can connect you with job opportunities, but also again, who can present different career paths that you could potentially model. Um, and I think uh, thinking about, I think professional societies can be really, really helpful for that. I know for me, like the American Thoracic Society was, was very helpful um, in terms of seeing what's possible in terms of a career for me, say in, in clinical medicine and medical education um, within pulmonary and ICU. And so that, that was very helpful, but you can, def you can absolutely get that mentoring um, locally, should get that mentoring locally. Excellent. Thank you both. So in thinking about career goals and objectives, you, uh, you highlighted both the importance of being uh, self-aware, having internal stimuli, understanding what your personal uh, interests, and I like how you said this, Kyla, mission statement uh, is as you seek out a job. And then, Avi, as you pointed out, being externally or situationally aware, looking for examples, mentors, um, you know, pathways uh, that you could potentially follow. So, um, a wonderful approach to thinking about how to frame goals and objectives as you seek, uh, as one seeks that first professional uh, uh, job after training. I want to pivot, if it's all right with you two, from thinking about goals and objectives to uh, actually getting into the timeline. And this is probably most pertinent for those fellows who are listening to this podcast right now, who are thinking about what they're going to do after they complete their training. When should a fellow start looking for that first professional job? And what kind of milestones or, or benchmarks should he or she have in mind as they're approaching this? I'm going to pass this to you, Avi, uh, uh, for a, a first response um, in terms of thinking specifically about the when of a first professional job search. So the literature that I've seen on this is um, seems like 18 months seems to be about the sweet spot, say for um, 18 months before uh, you would start the job. So for say, for an internal medicine residency, that'd be about halfway through your second year. Um, and I think that one, it allows time for time to pass uh, in, in your training so that you're not starting too early and you haven't had exposure and haven't developed a professional network and aren't quite ready to um, phenotype yourself or come up with your mission statement like Kyla was saying, but it also leaves plenty of time to um, go through the process and, and network and, you know, and um, reflect and scope out job opportunities. And, and so you definitely don't want to rush this and be kind of scrambling at the, you know, the second half of the, of your last year of training to get a job. And so uh, 18 months seems to be about the sweet spot. Yeah. I, I would agree with that. I think that, you know, I come from the surgical world. And so two things maybe I'd add to that. Um, for the surgery, uh, residents are going into fellowship. Fellowships are usually one or two years. And so I encourage them to really think of their fellowship interview as their job interview, because there's a very high likelihood um, that they'll be retained at that institution. You know, for example, uh, it's not unusual for a quarter of fellows uh, in any discipline really to be retained. When I look at um, our data and other uh, data around the nation to be retained at the institution where they're doing their fellowship or where they've done their residency gone on fellowship and then come back. Um, so with that mind frame and almost thinking about, uh, you know, when we talk about people when they're medical students interviewing for residency, we say that every single interaction is going to be important. If you talk to the coordinator and you're rude to the coordinator, you're going to be burned on the match list. If you are share something with uh, other residents that you wouldn't necessarily share in the job interview, that that's a no-no. And I'd say really when you are in any training situation, every day uh, is important uh, to that job interview that you're going to have in the future <clears throat> because your interactions um, and your actions 
uh, usually indicate a pattern that people are going to be part of your references, uh, they're going to be part of your employees uh, and your, your hires uh, for that point. So I'd say sort of two things uh, with that that I would add and just summarizing that is um, for shorter fellowships, and I recognize that medicine is a little bit longer fellowships, really thinking about that interview for the fellowship as being the job interview and then just keeping the mindset of uh, every interaction is going to be a cumulative effect on, uh, on your um, your recommendations. That's phenomenal perspective that uh, every day of your preceding training uh, is part of the timeline potentially for the, potentially, uh, yes. the upcoming <laughs> job interview. There is recovery time though. I will say that you, know, <laughs> you have some recovery time for things that, that go awry. Awesome. Uh, well, thank you for the specificity about thinking about the timeline for look, looking for one's first professional job. Um, we're going to go from what one might consider as the positives, identifying career goals, objectives, the logistics, thinking about the timeline of looking for a potential uh, first professional job, um, to some of the maybe negatives, if you will. And specifically, um, Kyla, I'm, I'm curious if you have any input about uh, mistakes or challenges that a trainee, whether that's a resident or a fellow who's looking for his or her first professional job, any mistakes or challenges that they should be aware of as they're approaching the job search and even as they're going through the application and interview process for their first professional job. Yeah, um, I was thinking about this actually as Avi was talking and talking about networking and, and interacting with people. I think one of the mistakes is that we get really involved and entrenched in our training. And we tend to think that the only opportunities are those which we see in front of us. And so I think it would be a mistake to think that at whatever institution you are, that that is what that position looks like at all institutions. And a mistake to assume that whatever opportunities are there is also the opportunities are the opportunities that would be available at other institutions. And so I think uh, utilizing professional networks, uh, societies, uh, to really get a feel for what may be available beyond uh, your own home institution is important because it's not necessarily that would be a negative uh, that you stay, and of course I stayed at my institution after training, but you may be passing up opportunities that would have very much fit within uh, your goals that you just might not know about uh, without getting out uh, and, and looking for that. Um, and then I'd say the other mistake is, is goes back to what we talked about earlier, that if you assume that this process is going to be like all the processes you have participated in until this point, where you have matched into a position, had a very defined um, application process, that is a mistake because the job application and the job search is a very uh, different process uh, from what, what you've done until this point. I think um, it's also important to, to think about how you and your uh, application are going to look to someone interviewing you to be hired. And I think sometimes, you know, that, that person, uh, say on a, uh, say a, like a division director or, uh, or even a recruiter, but someone, you know, interviewing, interviewing uh, the applicant or the job applicant, it's going to, everything is going to be compressed. Everything that, um, you know, and, and they're going to try to um, have a narrative that emerges from that and kind of, what does this person seem? Do they seem like more of a, a pure clinician, or does this, um, or more of a um, uh, an educator or researcher, or whatever kind of again that, that phenotype that's going to come out? They're going to try to like phenotype. They're going to try to phenotype you. Um, and what you want is to 
one, you want that phenotype to be who you actually want to be and also who you want to, what you want to project in terms of your, the, the things that you've done and the, um, the experiences that, you know, that you've had. And so I think having a narrative that is consistent and kind of fits with the kind of job that you want, you want that to match up with like how, how it's going to look on paper and how it's going to get communicated in, you know, a 15 minute interview. Um, and so I think sometimes it can be like Kyle, like you were saying, you can get so kind of locked into the flow of your training that like you lose a sense of like, what is my identity and what is my narrative and making sure that the, 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 the things that you're doing kind of line up with that. Um, I think the other pitfall, and this can be, I guess, both a blessing, blessing and a curse can, or kind of external recruiters. Uh, I think it's kind of hard to not mention that in a podcast like this. Um, I think there's a lot of advantages in terms of connecting uh, trainees with job opportunities that they didn't even know existed. Um, but at the same time, um, I know like, you know, you can, uh, you can get a lot of unwanted contact that maybe you didn't necessarily know you were signing up for. You hear horror stories about people getting paged when they're on service and, um, or somehow like their cell phone gets called and, th you know, it, it can be, I think, a kind of a mixed bag. And so just being aware that when you put your, your name and your email into sites, you are going to get emails with job opportunities, but you're also going to get contact from recruiters that maybe you don't necessarily want. Those are all great points. I uh, appreciate the idea of, of not having blinders on and just seeing uh, what's around you as potential uh, job opportunities as you transition from training to practice. Um, in the use of a professional network, uh, whether it's the American Thoracic Society or some other organization, to meet people and identify jobs that may not be something that you've thought of in terms of the composition of roles and responsibilities. Um, and then, uh, Avi, to your point, the, ensuring that your narrative, that your story, that your elevator pitch uh, matches uh, who you want to be as you progress into independent practice is a critical component. Um, and I'm really glad, finally, that you brought up external recruiters uh, as a component of this whole process. Because even if, uh, in, in my limited experience, even if a trainee doesn't want to work with external recruiters, they will find you. And I remember from my residency being exactly as you said, paged on round to a number without any context, calling back, and it was an external recruiter, or as we call them, a headhunter, uh, right. who was looking to review jobs in, in, you know, in the middle of my CCU rounds uh, as a senior resident. Um, so being aware of that, thinking about how to deal with those um, opportunities, distractions, going through the pros and cons uh, intentionally, those are great points to keep in mind as challenges uh, to the job search process. I want to move, if it's all right with you two, into a, a rather specific challenge. And you've been very thoughtful. Um, you've given great advice. Uh, to trainees and early career faculty about um, delineating career goals and objectives, coming up with a, a narrative or even a mission statement, as you put it, um, you know, developing a framework of, of uh, mentors uh, and contacts uh, so that you can identify potential optimal jobs, uh, being thoughtful about the timeline, identifying mistakes and challenges, but all this builds up to eventually doing an interview and eventually optimally presumptively, getting a job offer. Once you get the job offer, what advice would you have for a, a trainee, for a, a job applicant, um, if that job offer didn't quite align with what they were looking for? 
So if somebody had framed themselves in one way, maybe as a clinician educator, but was offered a job that didn't really align with their career goals and expectations, what advice do you have for that specific situation? And, and Kyle, I'll start with you if that's all right. Sure. Um, so I'd say, first of all, I think that that is probably more normal than abnormal, <laughs> that we go into something with expectations and, and, you know, whatever your lowest expectations are, things don't usually meet this, but also whatever your highest expectations are, um, things often don't meet those. Um, and so first, I would say there's always going to be something positive that you are going to get out of any experience um, and something positive that you're going to leave any experience uh, with. And so not to uh, despair, but to potentially redefine what you're trying to uh, get out of that particular job or experience. And then I think you really have, have two pathways. One, you may be able to shape that job into more of what you want, or you need to consider, is, is that a job where you need to have an exit strategy? Um, and when I talk about the, the mission statement, the priorities, I always recommend that people every two to three years really redefine those because as you accumulate new skills, um, new networks, new interests, those things may change and they do need to be uh, uh, able to be malleable uh, with that. Um, I had someone ask me once when I was considering a, a job change, they asked me to really think about what my ideal job was outside of the institution and then also think about what my ideal job was within the institution and uh, to try to, to think about and begin that process of if I'm going to have a change from my current situation, what are my potentials and what's that going to look like? And then I think that also requires, as we talked about earlier, tapping your network, uh, talking to people, understanding what is out there and what's not out there. Now, the practical side is also important, which is understanding what the job market is and what your skills are um, and whether you have skills that are um, highly transferable to other areas or whether there are only going to be a limited number of jobs uh, and it's actually going to be a very uh, competitive situation for you to get the job that you want. So I do think that you have to be realistic uh, and always uh, utilizing, I keep on going back to that, that network that having, I, I recommend that people have really a matrix um, of mentors at different stages of their career and in different careers so that you can consider uh, what you need to do as, as your next step. So uh, in short, don't despair. Don't burn bridges. That's the other thing I would say is if you're unhappy in a situation, uh, make sure that the relationships stay intact because that is your answer to either a better position within the institution or a uh, better position outside of it. I think that's terrific advice. I think it's hard for me to actually expand on that. I think, you know, I think one thing you said is, is really important is thinking about what can, once you're in that job, say that you take it, you know, what is your ability to shape it, like you said, to mold it and what opportunities exist, maybe not right away, but kind of one to three years away that you could potentially transition into, you know, can you realistically get what you want um, out of the job within that time frame? And I think also, and I, this goes back to something that, that uh, you had said earlier, Kyla, was thinking about when you're doing your job search, having certain anchors about what factors are kind of most important. So we all have things that we, we, we want and we have things that we need and trying to sort out, you know, what's a want and what's a need. And um, that can both be helpful on the, on the search side, like you said earlier, but also I think when thinking about whether or not to accept a job and what's most important, thinking about factors like um, uh, clinical description and job opportunity there, academic potential, if that's where you're going to be working, um, uh, leadership opportunities, location, family, compensation, benefits, you know, and figuring out which of those factors is a want and which is a need um, 
and kind of letting that guide whether or not to take a job that doesn't necessarily meet um, all the criteria that, that you had that you had wanted. Awesome. I like that framework very much. And it goes back uh, directly to identifying career goals, objectives, a mission statement, priorities. So if you map those out uh, anticipatorily, then when you get an offer, you can, uh, as Avi said, uh, compare the, the wants, the needs uh, with what you're being offered to what you had thought you actually prioritized prior to uh, getting the offer. Um, I also appreciate Kyla's uh, comments about being realistic. Uh, you may not find that utopian job that meets every single uh, criteria that you had set out uh, when you began the search. Uh, and so keeping that in mind, being aware of what's possible versus what's ideal uh, is critical. One final thing that I might offer, and, and uh, please feel free to respond or not uh, to this consideration, but talking to people who may be uh, in similar situations in the institution. So someone who maybe was hired, you know, one, two, three years before, um, you know, were they offered a, a certain set of opportunities um, and were they able to modify that to better meet their career goals and objectives during that time? Said differently, you know, was leadership at this new institution responsive uh, to career growth and development? So getting a sense of the environment, um, you know, the culture and the track record uh, of a given institution with early career faculty might be one other data point to consider uh, keeping in mind. Uh, this has been extremely helpful as you guys have gone through uh, different specific considerations and framing for searching uh, for one's first professional job after training, whether that's residency or fellowship. Um, and I'd just like to uh, provide an opportunity here at the end of this uh, podcast uh, for you to uh, uh, come up with any final hints tips, tricks, or strategies for a trainee who's seeking his or her first professional job. And this is uh, open forum. If there is anything that you've already said that you want to highlight or anything that's uh, been uh, left off the table uh, that you really want to emphasize, I'm sure our listeners would benefit uh, from these final comments, hints, tips, tricks, and strategies that you may have. Um, Avi, I'll start with you. So I have uh, three, um, three things that I'll end with. The first is to tend your CV like a garden and really um, be proactive about that and um, uh, ideally updated monthly. That is things come in, uh, publications or academic activity, uh, clinical skills or, you know, competencies that have been gained, just making sure that that is updated so that it's not kind of a crush to do it right before you're starting to send these out to, to potential employers. Uh, two is to clean up social media and making sure that that is, um, professional and that only things that are being you know, projected on the internet are the way that you would want to be um, seen. And I think Googling yourself can be helpful with that. And, on, and um, uh, Chris Warsham uh, has recommended kind of doing that kind of monthly as well, kind of a monthly Google, just to make sure that, again, the way that if someone searches for you, the way that you want to be projected on the internet is um, in line with uh, your own professional aspirations and standards. And then third, uh, th and this, was, this goes back to the framework uh, discussions that we've already had, but this, this was helpful for me when I was starting my own job search, was the, the Japanese concept of ikigai. Um, the Venn diagram on this kind of made its way around med Twitter in the last couple of years, but basically it means like, what is your reason for being? And it looks for kind of overlap between what you get paid for, what you're good at, what you love, and what the world needs. And essentially, um, Seeing, you know, when you're looking, so looking at job opportunities through that lens and which of those four boxes are you checking with that job? Ideally, your job checks all four, 
um, that may be hard to come by, but um, I found that to be a helpful framework. Great. So that's a great, I mean, I think I'm going to actually take a lot of this advice <laughs> myself in considering future careers and things. Um, the only thing that, that I would really add to that, because I think that that's, that's phenomenal, is, uh, is just the concept, and I think you'd agree with this, of just being self-aware uh, through all of this. And if you really start the process early enough, that's time for people to give you feedback on areas that you need to improve. Um, or areas in your CV as you're updating it that you recognize that you have weaknesses. So say maybe you're not on any uh, national committees or any local committees um, and you really want that to be a part of, of what you're doing in the future or um, your research, you need to focus on that. If you're self-aware, it allows you to match um, what you are working on with what um, you're trying to achieve in the, in the job search process. Um, and then as we said earlier is just that everything that you are doing um, daily uh, is going to contribute uh, eventually to, to where you are in the future. And so it's important to just, just work hard on the ground at the same time. Um, but I, I don't have much to, to add other than what Avi said there. I also would direct people to um, the article in the Journal of Graduate Medical Education that um, Kyle and I co-authored with Pete Clardy and Tricia LaFrada. Uh, it was how to approach the first physician job search. It was in April 2019 in their career transition series. Um, and that uh, article kind of um, lays out a lot of the stuff that we discussed here, but it can be a helpful resource as well. Well, thank you both for uh, your time and for the specific, useful, actionable advice uh, for our trainees who are approaching their first professional job search. As you said at the beginning, this is a very different experience than going through the assembly line of training uh, with various matches and, and set milestones along the way. Um, and so uh, from the beginning, as Avi said, uh, being psychologically uh, ready to engage in this job search is a, a first step. Uh, from there, you talked about the importance of internal and external inputs to help one identify uh, one's goals and objectives along the way. Um, the idea of a timeline uh, for the job search at least 18 months, not too much earlier, not too much later, but that being a, a sweet spot to start thinking really uh, thoughtfully about approaching the job search. Um, going on to thinking about uh, mistakes or challenges that a trainee could make um, along the way, the uh, idea of, of being uh, unaware of the potential for different jobs that are out there, uh, the, the concern, the issue about not having one's narrative or mission statement aligned with the job that one's looking for. Um, and then finally, this uh, uh, issue of if you get offered a job that doesn't quite align with all of your goals and objectives and self-identity, how do you deal with that? Um, and you went through some different approaches uh, to dealing with that specific um, and not that uncommon situation. Uh, finally, I really appreciate uh, the summative advice that you provided at the end in terms of specific tips, tricks, and strategies um, from Ikigai, uh, the Japanese concept of uh, self and situational awareness, uh, to your excellent article that you two authored uh, in the Journal of Graduate Medical Education, uh, the specific citation of which was April 2019, uh, issue 11, page 231 to 232. Uh, so uh, listeners, uh, go out there and uh, check out the article for uh, more consolidation of the great tips and uh, tricks and strategies uh, that Avi and Kyla presented to us today. So we're going to go ahead and uh, finish today's podcast. Um, again, my name is Jeremy Richards. I was lucky enough to be able to moderate this um, on behalf of uh, the BSHSR, the Behavioral Sciences and Health Service Research 
uh, Assembly in the American Thoracic Society. And our two speakers today were Dr. Avi Cooper uh, from The Ohio State University and Dr. Kyla Terhun uh, from Vanderbilt uh, University Medical Center. Uh, thank you both, Avi and Kyla, for being here. Uh, listeners, stay tuned for other podcasts coming from the BSHSR. Uh, and please don't hesitate to contact any of us with any questions about any of the contact discussed in today's podcast. Bye.